Those guys really are awesome. I'm so thankful for them. Now, I need to share this with you, too. How many of you were here last weekend, a Memorial Day weekend? A lot of you were. Some of you were not. If you were not here, we had a guest worship leader with us last weekend. His name was Todd Stanley, and he led a few of our songs, but he was here with us all weekend long. Okay, I'm good now. They weren't just here leading worship. Uh, we were interviewing them to see if they were a good fit with our church to come on staff, possibly as worship, as worship leaders or the worship pastor of our church. And they are announcing today at their church in Kansas City that they are leaving their church to join our church. Amen. That pumps me up. Yeah. And so I'm so excited. Um, and I've told the board this. I've told some of our staff, and maybe a few of you this. Um, we had a guest worship leader with us back Gosh, I guess it was in March. Um, Jess Morton, she did a great job, and I love her, and she's a good friend of ours. And we we were praying about maybe her coming on staff here, and it was such just it wasn't a difficult process, but I just realized we're pushing some things. You know, I'm I'm selling this a little bit, and I was trying to do it in my own strength. And this is just the opposite. This was God orchestrating things and bringing things together. And there's no reason that He should be coming here other than. God is bringing people in place and orchestrating this thing and bringing it together in such a way that he's going to do something big. And I'm just excited that I get to be a part of it. Um, and so I can't wait. Um, I'm ready for them to be here. Uh, I told them I would love for them to be here like day before yesterday, if we could. Um, but it's largely dependent on, they're still going to finish out at their church, but it's largely dependent on the sale of their house in the Kansas City area. So if you are ready for them to be here, you can help me with this. Today at four o'clock, they have a showing on their house. They haven't even listed their house yet, but, um, but God brought a person and said, hey, we heard you might be interested in selling your house. Can we look at it? And it was one of the guys that was on the construction of their house when they built it, and it's just a total God thing. So um, they haven't even listed their house, but they might have a buyer for their house already. So be praying with us today at 4 o'clock. Um, you can fast and intercede, and let's be believing that they're going to get this house sold for m- more than what they need. They're going to be able to get here, and it'll be a good transition for them, because I can't wait. I'm excited. And I'm excited about what God is doing here, um, that it is not just... Um, It's not just that we're going to have a good church or that we're going to do good things. We're going to have good services, but we are going to change this community. We're going to change this area. I truly believe we can change Southwest Pennsylvania, that he is starting something amazing and we get to be a part of it. And so I'm, I could, I could talk about that a while. I'm not going to do it because I got something I got to preach on today. So let's go there instead. Um, Today we're starting a series, and this name of the series is Once Upon a Time, and I'm a sucker for stories. I love stories. I love to hear stories. I love to tell stories. Um, And really, at the end of the day, we all love stories. And if you don't believe me, well, think about what you're watching on television, the movies you go to see, what you're reading. Uh, We love stories. If you put two people together in a room, pretty quickly they're going to begin telling stories, right? And they might not even do it intentionally. I've done it all day today, standing in the lobby talking to people. Hey, how you doing today? Great. Hey, how was your Memorial Day? Oh, it was fantastic. We went to the lake. We went and saw family. Oh, really? What'd you do? Where'd you go to? And what's happening? Well, they're telling me a story, right? They're sharing their life with me. They're telling me what's going on. And really, our life is about stories in so many ways. I had a a person um, a while back, um, one of the churches I was at, that, that sent me a letter one time and told me my preaching would be better if I didn't tell so many stories. And um, I didn't listen to that person, and I kept telling stories. Because the truth is, life is a story. 
everything we do. It unfolds like a story, not like a math equation. Um, there's a beginning and an end. Every day, it's the sunrise and the sunset, and there's things that happen throughout our day. It is like a story. And it's not just that our life is like a story. The Bible is a story. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, well, yes, Mel, it's got lots of stories. And it does have lots of stories, but they aren't just a series of unrelated stories. It is a series, it is one continuous story from beginning to end. And the truth is that we are a part of that story today. That the story didn't end with Revelation, and now it's just a book that we reference once in a while. But this is the story of all stories. And we are a part of that story. There was a gentleman by the name of G.K. Chesterton, and he's probably one of my favorite, favorite authors and writers of all time. Um, but this is what he had to say. He said, I'd always felt life first as a story. And if there's a story, there's a storyteller. That we are living out this grand story and that God is the master storyteller, telling our story, orchestrating our story, bringing our story together, bringing events like uh, Todd and Jennifer Stanley coming on staff at our church in a way that really I couldn't do on my own. That's part of the story. The, you having kids and some of the drama that's happened with those kids, whether you like it or not, that's part of your story. And it makes for some incredible ups and downs. Now, let me ask you this. What if Every great story ever told, every movie, every book, every television show, every great story ever told really points back to the ultimate story. That, that all the stories we know that we've seen or read about or experienced, all those stories are a shadow of the great story that God is telling in this world. Because every good story has some common elements, have some common themes, have some things that we enjoy, that we love, um, whether it's good versus evil. I love, I love action movies, okay? Just like guys in this room, like our testosterone goes up like five points just hearing the word action movie. Like, yeah. You, like Rocky IV. Do you remember Rocky IV and Ivan Drago? It was America versus Russia. It was good versus evil, lightness of light versus darkness. And it was just this epic battle of good and evil. And it wasn't about a boxing match. It wasn't about some guy who, who couldn't barely speak English fighting a Russian. It was, it was America versus Russia, right? It, it brought us into a much bigger story. It had consequences for us, too, because if Rocky gets beat, America gets beat. There was something on the line besides just a simple boxing match, and it draws us in because of these common themes. We love, whether you are a sappy romantic or not, you love stories with true love. And I wanted to say it like in Princess Bride, like, but I guess I just did say it like that. But true love, redemption, beauty, adventure, these are all things that somewhere deep in the core of who we are we long for. That's why we are attracted to those stories in these movies. Because there's something about these movies that touches the core of who we are and we relate to it. <laughs> I told the last service, I didn't plan on saying this. Um, did anybody ever see the movie Taken with Liam Neeson and his daughter gets kidnapped and he goes to Europe and he hunts down all these guys and gets even and he finds his daughter and I just gave the movie away. If you haven't seen it, it's been like five years. You should have seen it already. So it's not my fault if I ruined it. But I see this movie and I'm like, that's right. Cause I've got girls. If something happened to my girls, I'm hunting this guy down. 
Like, I'm getting a private plane. I'm going to Europe. I'm bashing in doors. I'm cracking skulls. I don't care what happens. I'm finding these guys, you know? Like, I'm picturing this arsenal. I'm, like, pulling out guns, and they're everywhere inside my legs, shoes, everything. I'm, I'm just pulling out weapons. And my wife goes, babe, you wouldn't make it out of the airport. <laughs> well, I know that, but you didn't have to say that. We have this image, right? Because it's not just a story. It's a story that we apply to our lives. And it teaches us something about good and evil and true love and redemption. And we, we learn through story. Not that you should learn everything you need to know at the movie theater. But there's something about that story that touches who we are. And this is what I think it is. I, I think that God planned it that way. Because I think all those stories that we love take their themes from the story that God is telling. This is what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. It says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. It's talking about God. He's made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Let me explain this. This is what it says. This is saying that the God put in us, divinely put in our heart, the knowledge the understanding that God is too big to understand. That there is too much going on in this world for us to truly understand who God is and how he works. Now, we can have a bit of an understanding of who God is and how he works, but we will never know the full picture because God is too big. But he also has divinely put in our heart the desire to seek out who he is and what he's doing. So we'll never know everything of God that he is, but we also have this divine desire to truly discover what God is doing. We know we're part of a bigger story. We know that God has something more for us than just living our life every single day, than just going to work, than just being married, than just doing what we're doing. And he's put something in us. It's, it's a divine spark from God, this longing for these themes that we're talking about. Not just themes from a movie, but themes from our story, the themes from the story that God is writing on planet Earth. He's placed it there on purpose. And the story that we're part of is, is an epic story. It's a huge story. I'll mention this because this title of this book is Epic. But John Eldridge, he's an incredible author. He wrote this book. It's called Epic. It's a really easy read. Um, I mean, literally, you can read it in like an hour. Um, but this is... Uh, ties in with the series we're on. It's in the bookstore. I think it's $5. You can stop by the bookstore and pick it up. But the story we're living out is an epic story. Now, there's a difference between an epic movie and a movie. Would you agree? Not every movie is an epic movie. Now, if you would, uh, this, is, this, is the, this is the portion of the message where I let you talk a little, okay? So tell me. You can shout it out. I don't care where you're at sitting in the room. Shout out. And if you're watching online, you can just shout it at your screen. So if somebody walks in and you're hollering at your computer, you're like, Star Wars at your computer. might be weird, but um, holler to, out to me. Let's hear some epic movies. Gladiator. Gladiator. What? Lord of the Rings. What was one over here? Jane Eyre. Jane Eyre. Okay, that's, that's female epic. That's chick epic, but yes, it's epic. We'll... Forrest Gump is an epic movie. What else? What are some? Titanic. <laughs> Die Hard. Okay. These are some epic movies. Some of these are epic movies. Some of them I won't criticize because I love you. Avatar. These big movies. Right? Star Wars. Greatest story ever told. I had somebody in the first service say, The Passion of the Christ. And I was like, of course. I knew somebody would say The Passion. You got to, right? But there are epic movies. 
We know what the epic movies are. Do you know where you can watch movies that are not epic? The Hallmark Channel. <laughs> how, how many of you like the Hallmark Channel? Raise your hand for me. Okay, there's nothing wrong with the Hallmark Channel. Did you see very many guys raising their hands? And if they did, they might have been raising their eyebrow. They're like, uh, yeah, I kind of. But they don't want to admit it. With all women that raise their hands. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with the Hallmark Channel, okay? It is perfectly fine. The movies are clean. Um, I don't have to worry about if my girls can watch the movies with my wife because my, my wife loves these movies. I'll walk home. I'll get in the, you know, put my bag down. I'll walk in the living room. Hey, what are you watching? And she'll sit there for a second and go, Hallmark Channel. I'm like, all right. And so, and if I watch for like two seconds, I'll know what she's watching because it's never a real star. It's like somebody who used to be a star like 15 years ago. Like, oh yeah, they used to be a 90210 when we were in junior high, right? And now this is what they're doing. It's fine. But these are not epic movies, okay? If they rolled one of these movies into the movie theater, nobody is going to be like, oh my gosh, you got to pay $10 to go see this. It's going to change your life. There's a difference between an epic movie and a Hallmark movie. Epic movies bring you in and help you understand there are consequences for what's going on in this story. Uh, Lord of the Rings, it's a huge movie. It's a story of these two tiny men, well, actually, several tiny men with hairy feet, and these guys have to take this ring and throw it and destroy it in this lava pit, and if they don't do it, the whole world is doomed. Evil will take over the world if these guys don't destroy your ring. And when I'm describing it, it sounds much sillier than it really is. <laughs> But what is the deal? Well, there's consequences. If they don't do this, we're all dead. That's what the theme is, it, that it's good versus evil. And there are consequences if they don't do what they need to do. In a Hallmark movie, the consequences are this lady is maybe a widow. Her husband died tragically. It's always tragically. It was never his fault. It was tragically, something happened. She's got a child. She's never going to find true love again. But then one day, she does. And then something goes wrong. There's a misunderstanding. But then by the end of the movie, they work things out, and they get married, and they all live happily ever after. There's nothing wrong with that story. It is a perfectly fine story, but it is not epic. If she doesn't get married to this guy, she'll find another guy. It's going to be Okay. That's the consequences. And some of us feel like we are living a Hallmark movie, that there aren't really any consequences to our life, that we're living every day and then we're going to work and we're doing our thing. But that isn't what God desires for us. God wants us to live a life that's epic. He wants us to live a life with consequences. He wants us to live a life that if we don't do what he's calling us to do, there are consequences and people will be in, in pain and hurt because of what we don't get accomplished. Does that make sense? That's what God desires for us to do. If you look, every great story, it, it, it has a, a platform. The platform in literature is usually the first line of a story. And the first line, it can really set up the rest of the story. Just the first sentence in a lot of ways. And when I read, when I was reading through this, I thought... The book that made the most sense to me, the greatest first line ever, besides the Bible, we have to say the Bible because we're in church, right? Um, but have you, if you've ever read Herman Melville's Moby Dick, the very first line of the book says, call me Ishmael. And it's iconic. Even if you don't know anything about the book, even if you've never read the book, even if you don't know who Herman Melville is or, or don't know about Moby Dick, you probably have heard that line at some point in your life. He says, call me Ishmael. 
There are other uh, lines from books like um, The Tale of Two Cities. Did anybody have to read that when you are in school? I, I hated that book. But the first line is iconic. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And it goes on. Charles Dickens goes on to tell you what the scene is. He's setting up the rest of the story from this very first line. Um, let's, let's go to some movies. This is bringing it a little closer to home. Anybody remember the, the opening lines? As the, it's as the story is rolling on the screen from the bottom to the top. And it's this space in the background. Does anybody know what I'm describing here? What is that very first line? Long ago. The galaxy far, far away, right? It's like, okay, you know right then you're being invited into the story that is not just, hey, Jim is going to buy a, a car. What kind of car is he going to buy? Is he going to buy the right car? Stick around to find out. You're being invited into a story that is galactic on its scale, right? Now, whether you like Star Wars or not, that's beside the point. What the point is, is it's inviting you in. The platform sets it up that this is a big story you're about to see. Um, the Bible is like that as well. Did you know that? It doesn't just start us off. It doesn't just lead us into the story. It invites us into the story. And you're probably going, of course, Mel, Genesis 1-1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the beginning of the story. Do you know how I know it's the beginning of the story? Because it's at the beginning of the story, right? It makes sense but you'd be wrong. That's not the beginning of the story. Another way you can interpret that portion where it says, um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth is when God began creating the heavens and the earth. So what this is saying is there was something before God began creating the heavens and the earth. So it, our story was epic enough if it, it was just the Bible, but it's not just the Bible. See, God is bigger than the story we know of him. Actually, in John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In the beginning, before time began, God was. In the end, when everything you know is gone on planet Earth, the universe as we know it has, has disappeared, God will be. We are part of this story that is so much bigger than we can begin to fathom. And God is inviting us in. God is asking us to be a part of that epic story. Ah, does anybody, I'm, I'm just totally sharing my geekiness with you today. Does anybody like uh, time travel movies, like movies that time travel? Like I grew up with uh, Back to the Future movies when I was, you know, junior high and high school, like, well, really junior high. I didn't mean to make some of you feel old. I apologize. Um, but I love the Back to the Future movies. And I love to think about what would happen if Marty McFly went back in time and uh, he saw himself. But what if he got in a car accident and he actually, like, accidentally killed his dad and he was in a car and he accidentally, well, what happened then? Could he, he couldn't do that because he'd go back in time and kill his dad, but then he wouldn't be born to be able to go back in time to kill his dad. And it's like, whoa, like, mind blown, right? Like, trying to think through this stuff. But, but I love this kind of stuff, time travel and quantum physics and all these kind of things. But then think about this for a second. God exists outside of time. Okay? So when we pray a prayer and say, God, help me with the meeting I've got tomorrow. I don't know how that's going to go. Or God, I've got to take some tests at the doctor's office, and I'm nervous about what that's going to look like. Help me with that tomorrow. Or God, bless my kids Next week, when they leave for school, when they go to college, when they, whenever we pray about something in the future, we pray, okay, God, help that situation out. I know you know because you're omniscient. You know what's going to happen. But this is the thing. God doesn't just know what's going to happen. 
because he's omniscient. He knows what's going to happen because he lives outside of time. So he is already present there. So when we arrive at that moment in time, God is waiting for us in that moment. He has already been waiting on us. He said, where you been? I've been waiting on you. Here we are. I know what you're going through. I'm already taking care of it because I've been waiting on you in this moment in time. Does that make sense? So God is not bound up by time. He's not bound up by the laws of physics. God is outside of that. So when we understand that, we understand that the story that God is desiring for us to live out is not just about my lifetime. It's not just about the 70 or 80 or 100 years you might have on planet Earth, but it's much, much, much bigger than that. The story that God desires for us to live out is an epic. And when we look at the story of the Bible, I mentioned this earlier, but it's not just a collection of stories. It is a story. It is one continuous story from the very beginning, Adam and Eve, all the way through the end. It is one continuous story, and our story continues that today. That the life I live out, the story that I live matters because it's attached to this story. It's part of the bigger meta-narrative, the, the story that God is telling. There are several elements that are involved in any good story. Um, and the one we're going to talk about today, and we'll talk about some over the next few weeks, but the one we're going to talk about today is the lead character. Have you ever been to a movie and it seemed boring? And you're like, eh, I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to finish this movie. You flip the channels, or maybe you go to the theater, and you're like, oh, this stinks, I'm leaving. Or maybe you start a book, and you think, okay, this book looks good. And you start reading, you get like four chapters in, you're like, this book's terrible. Like, see if I buy books at Dollar Tree again, right? Like, you forget that. So you, you put the book up, you don't ever finish the book. The reason you probably couldn't finish those stories is because the lead character probably wasn't very compelling. The lead character probably wasn't somebody that was likable. Because everybody who writes a story knows if you are going to finish the story, you have to like the character. You have to like the lead character to some degree or another. So in just about every movie you see, the lead character, they're going to spend time telling you about the lead character. One of my favorite movies is a movie called Shawshank Redemption. And it's, um, it is, it's not safe for the whole family, okay? I'm just being honest with you. But it is an incredible movie. And it's about this young, this, this man, he's a banker, he's accused, wrongfully accused of, of murdering his wife. So he goes to jail and he spends years in prison. But early on in the story, he, there's this, this scene where they are on the roof of this prison and they're, they're tarring the roof, they're re-roofing this building. And this, this man, Andy Dufresne, overhears one of the prison guards. And the prison guard is saying, hey, I got an inheritance, but I'm going to lose it all in taxes. And what am I going to do? And it's great that I got some money, but who cares? Like, I'm going to, it's all, Uncle Sam's taking it all. And Andy hears this, and he comes up with a solution. And this guy says, um, well, what's this going to cost me if you help me keep all this money? And he said, I don't want anything, but... You know, all, the, all my coworkers out here, and they're all prison inmates, he said, you know, they might like something cool to drink on a hot day. So the next scene, it flashes forward, and here they are sitting on the roof, and all the coworkers are drinking an icy cold one, and Andy's sitting there. And why did they have that scene in the movie? They had that scene in the movie to help you understand that he is a good guy, that, that he is selfless. He does things for others. And so they're setting the scene so they will, the, the, the writer is helping you know you should like this guy. Because if you don't like the lead character, you don't care how the movie ends. Does that make sense? 
Now think about this for a second. In the story that we are living out, in the life that we are living out, if the things you did in your life were portrayed on screen, would you be a likable lead character? Would your life be a movie worth watching? Or would people stop halfway through? Would people go, uh, I don't really care. This lead character is kind of a jerk. Did you see the way he treats his wife? I can't believe he would do that. Why would I be invested in this movie? Why would I finish this book? Did you see the way he treated his kids? Golly, this guy's a dirtbag. I'm not watching this movie, right? Now you go, no, well, that's not me. But think about it for a second. If the way you treated your wife, the, the words you said, the way you treated your husband, your spouse, whatever the case might be, if that was portrayed on the screen, would that be a compelling story? Would that be a lead character that you would like? And if not, why not? Because if it doesn't work on screen, it doesn't work in real life either. We don't care about the outcome of the story if we don't care about the lead character. You know, one thing we see over and over is the lead character has to be humble. I think the Bible says something to us about that, about humility in Scripture. But this is what we find in stories. Um, lead characters can have issues and problems and baggage. They can even have addictions and still be a lead character and still be likable. But the second they think or feel that they are better than someone else, they shift from being the hero to the villain. The second they feel like they are superior to others, they go from being the lead character to the villain. That's the difference. And the Bible tells us how we should live, what we should think, how we should flesh this out. In Romans 12, verse 3, it says, For the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, to, uh, ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. We have to live a life of humility or our story is uninspiring. If we don't live a life of humility, we are not going to be able to live out the story that God has dreamed for us to live out. It's as simple as that. And one of the things that help us have more humility in our story is to understand that our story really isn't about us at all. That we have, we're living the life, but we're not even the lead character of our story. That, that I'm not the hero of my story, just like I wouldn't make it out of the airport <laughs> in Taken. I'm not the lead character. I'm not the hero of my story. God is the hero of my story. He is the lead character of my story. And I'm not just saying this as church speak. Let me read this passage of scripture to you. This is... Romans chapter 4, verse 1, from the English Standard Version, it says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So what this passage is saying is, Abraham was living his life, he was doing the best he could, but that's not what saved him. That's not what made him justified before God. What made him justified before God was that God, in his sovereign grace, came in and rescued Abraham. Now, let me, let me read it to you a different way. Let me read it to you from the message. And it says... So how do we fit what we know of Abraham, our first father in faith, into this new way of looking at things? If Abraham, by what he did for God, got God to approve him, he could certainly have taken credit for it. But the story we're given is a God story, not an Abraham story. What we read in Scripture is Abraham entered into what God was doing for him, and that was the turning point. He trusted God to set him right instead of trying to be right on his own. Did you hear what I said? That it wasn't an Abraham story, it was a God story. The story I'm living out is not a story about Mel Massingale. It's a story about God. And if I'm living my life as a Mel Massingale story, I'm living it wrong. 
I'm telling the story wrong. My story is not right. The truth is many of us live our lives that way. We live a life that's all about us, that we are the lead character, that we're the hero of our story, and we're not the heroes of our story. God has to be the hero of our story. If we're going to live it right, if we're going to tell the story correctly, we have to make sure that he is the focus. I don't know very many stories that the hero has to be rescued. That's exactly what happens in our story. God sends Jesus to rescue us. We couldn't save ourselves. But Jesus came and died and paid the price and rescued us from what was our what was our future what story are you telling who is the hero of your story next week we're going to talk about ambition that every lead character every hero has to have an ambition the ambition has to be big so next week we're going to be talking about the dream that God's got for you the things that God has put in front of you that he desires for your life. And I'm believing that God is going to wreck us next week, that God's going to help us see that God's got something so much more for us than just showing up to church on a Sunday, just going to work every Monday. God's got more for us than that. But it begins with us saying, God, you're the hero of my story. I want to make sure that my story is the right one and that you're the center of it. Let's pray. God, I love you so much. I'm so thankful that today you are the sinner, that you are the hero, that you are the lead character of our story. So God, I pray today um, you would give us that vision, that focus, help us understand that clearly. And God, I pray if there are those of us here that have been living for ourselves, we'd shift that, that it wouldn't be about us anymore, what we want or what we desire. But God, let us live a life where you are the sinner and that it's all about you. Lord, I pray that you'd have your way with us over the next few minutes. And if you would, keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. If I could just ask you today, if you're here today and you say, Mel, um, man, my life has been about me. I've been living for me. And I want to make sure God is the center of my story. I want to make sure that God is the hero. And he's the lead character. I, I can't have it be about me anymore. I need to make sure my life is right with him. If that's you, would you just lift your hand up and say, that's me. Pray for me. Thank you. Thank you. Several hands. Anybody else? Real quickly. Up in the balcony, I see several hands up there. Thank you, guys. Awesome. Okay. Let me just pray with you. Jesus, thank you so much for those that raised their hands and said that they need to make their story about you. And God, I pray that you'd help them shift their focus. Lord, if they're not walking in relationship with you, Lord, let them make that decision. Or not just to say a prayer, but to choose to be in relationship and walk with you every single day of their life. And God, I pray that if the story they're telling is the wrong story, help them put you as the focus and put you in the center and make you the hero of their story. Lord, I pray that it wouldn't be about us, that Lord, we would crucify our flesh, that we would humble ourselves and allow you to just be God in our lives. Lord, I pray that you have your way with the people that raise their hands, minister to them, speak into them. Lord, let today be a watershed moment that for the rest of their life, they're going to be able to look back on today and realize that you impacted them. So Lord, have your way. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, if you would, everybody in the room, just